before I even get started, let me just go ahead and tell you, 904-315-5812, the unsung, if the podcast was was uh, a rock band, the unsung hero of the podcast, Fletcher Hallett, 904-315-5812, for all your insurance needs in Florida, fhallett at hallettins.com, double the L's, double the T's, Hallett for all your insurance needs. I always feel like when I do these solo, like M and Nate keep me straight and help me remember to do the ads, and I just completely blank on them. I get rolling, and I have no idea where I'm going. Um, Emily, I, I should tell you guys this. Emily, my wife, my the love of my life, Emily Thompson, um, she wanted to be on this podcast, but then she went to bed. And she has a lot of things going on in her life that are her normal, zany, hectic self that you guys are all going to want to hear about, but just haven't quite been able to pin her down lately on getting one of these suckers recorded. And also I've been recording pretty late and pretty inconsistently. So, um, she gets a pass on this, but I will tell you, um, I've got two things I wanted to jump on and just give an update on. This will be more serious than usual, but, um, it's really, this podcast is informational. So I'm going to talk about two separate things. First thing I'm going to talk about is right to hunt and fish. And then if you're interested in Lake Apopka and the Lake Apopka meeting that's coming up, I'll talk about that a little bit at the end and give you some thoughts on that. So if you're only here for right to hunt and fish, we'll talk about that at the front. We'll front load this and then we'll do the other thing at the end so people can can jump off. Um, and I'll try to keep it pretty quick and concise because, I, like I said, I just want to use this to get information out. So um, if you've been following along on social media, you will know that uh, our hero, Representative Lauren Mello, a couple weeks ago, filed House Joint Resolution 1157, the right to hunt and fish in Florida. Um, this is a, uh, well, it's a joint resolution, like I know what I'm talking about. And the idea is if the joint resolution passes in the House, and then there's also Senate Joint Resolution 1234, which I appreciate them numbering it that way. It makes it easy for people like me to remember. Um, if these two, if, if, if this passes both chambers of the House and Senate, um, then it would allow in the year 2024 on the ballot for Floridians to vote whether or not we have a constitutional right to hunt and fish. And so... That sounds really great. If you listen to this, there's a good chance you know that we hunt, we fish, you probably dabble in it some yourself. Um, so I think we can all agree that, hey, we like that idea. But I am going to talk just through a little bit of why this matters, why it's important, and um, kind of where I hope this goes, what I see. and what. This is the thing. I get, I get text messages. I get DMs. I get, do people slide my DMs all the time with this question? How can I help? What can I do to help? I'm going to give you some tangible ways you can help us with this as, as we kind of go through this podcast. But first, why do we need a constitutional right to hunt and fish? Like, and it, there's some valid arguments out there, I think. But if you've listened to me rant and rave for the past five plus years, um, you will know that I don't always agree with the way our wildlife agency goes about laying out rules and regulations around hunting or fishing. And... I think some of that is because we've, we've gotten into this thing where we look to a broader stakeholder base. And I, I don't know if I'm right. I don't know if I'm wrong about that. I'm always willing to share my opinion. You know that. I, I never shy about it. But um, I believe that as our state has grown, 
we've kind of lost our connection to the fact that hunting and fishing matters a great deal to us. Usually, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here, but if you were to dig into Shane Mahoney and the North American model of conservation, which are things we've talked about ad nauseum over the years we've done this podcast, um, Mahoney would tell you that what makes the North American model different and what makes hunting need to stay existent on the landscape is the revenue stream that hunting generates for the states, meaning we pay largely for the wildlife agencies. Um, I've talked about this a bunch, but in Florida, that's no longer the case. In Florida, hunting license sales combined with Pittman-Robertson dollars, fishing license sales combined with Dingle Johnson dollars, total up to about 15%, give or take, of FWC's total budget. And we're talking about a wildlife agency with a total budget of a half billion dollars. It's like, I think it was 483 or $486 million last year. It's a significant budget. So while we're not talking no money, we're not talking a lot of money in the grand scheme of things as far as does the wildlife agency need us to, to keep doing what they do only if they want to keep having hunting and fishing. It's almost like we're a self-fulfilling prophecy or we're, we're kind of paying to, to stay in the game. Um, and none of that's a complaint, but I've, you know, I've talked about raw before I've talked about shared funding before I've talked about my concerns with like when other States are like, we've got to share the conservation funding, the risk that you run there because you could jeopardize your seat at the table. One thing that can ensure though, that you always have a seat at the table would be if your state has the constitutional right to hunt and fish. Those are kind of the two the two ways you get, um, frankly, a, an impetus to keep hunting and fishing on the landscape. I think fishing's in way less danger than hunting is, but I don't think it's I don't think it is without peril in this conversation because it is an impact on wildlife. It's a it's a consumptive use activity. So, if our two things are uh, we, we need to generate money for the state. We've got to be a revenue stream. We've got to be funders of conservation. I think if you look historically in the state of Florida, hunters and fishermen, huge funders of conservation, huge. Um, the wildlife corridor, which we talk about all the time. Path of the Panther film is out right now, by the way. I haven't gone and seen it yet, but it's uh, on tour kind of in Florida. I know that there's, I think, 43 or 46 studios are showing that. That's Carlton Ward and Tori Linder and Katie Bryden, um, who are all friends of mine, people I know, people I respect, people that work hard in the conservation realm. Their film is out right now. The, a lot of their story is based around the idea of the creation of the Florida Wildlife Corridor. Um, I've gone to the Wildlife Corridor Summit. I know the ranchers are super involved with the Wildlife Corridor, and everyone's supportive of the Wildlife Corridors Act that was signed into law in 2021. And, you know, we look at Florida Forever funding and rural and family lands to to uh, pr conserve this land so that we can have this green infrastructure all the way up and down the state. But I'm going to hit you with a couple of interesting facts. One, um, 20%, 19% as of last April, of the Florida Wildlife Corridor was acquired with sportsmen's dollars. So that means historically, a lot of the structure and framework that was in place for the Wildlife Corridor to, to be even a, a conception came from came on the backs of sportsmen's dollars. And you can go back into the, like, I think Corbett, the WMA, was created in the 40s. That was the first WMA in the state of Florida. Uh, National Wildlife Refuges are sportsmen's dollars largely. Um, so it's significant there. And then you also have the impetus of the national forest system, which has uh, oftentimes uh, consumptive use, hunting, fishing allowed in them. 
Um, so not direct connection to sportsman's dollars, but there's a lot of sportsman ties into the wildlife corridor. In fact, I'm thinking between national forests, WMAs, refuges, et cetera, you're talking 35, 40% of the corridor. So while we don't always have the seat at the table, and when you look at the influential folks in the state these days on the topic of conservation, you don't see a lot of sportsmen at the upper levels uh, discussing it and involved in it, which I think is not intentional, but I also think it's kind of sad, and it's a little bit of, uh, shouldn't you sometimes dance with the one that brung you? Um, because if you look over the legacy of the long-term funding, sportsmen have absolutely carried their weight and then some. And so now we've shifted into a time when other folks are carrying more of the weight, not that sportsmen aren't carrying any, um, but other folks are carrying more of the weight. It, it becomes a little bit different conversation around why do you keep hunting around? Why do you keep fishing around? And I think having a constant, I don't think, I believe in my heart, having a constitutional amendment um, helps ensure that that way of life that we believe is so important to kind of our Florida way of life, like our tangibly touching the outdoors, our connections to the outdoors, um, having this constitutional amendment in place really shows both the legislature, the, the people of Florida, um, the, the governor, whoever whoever's involved in decision-making, because those some of those positions change, right? Like, um, there's a lot of talk right now about Governor DeSantis potentially running for president. Like, we don't know who our governor will be in two years or four years or six years, and we have no idea how they'll feel about hunting and fishing. So ensconcing these as a right, hugely important for us um, as, as stakeholders in the state and as people that have, you know, carried the weight for conservation historically, but also still want to uh, continue to participate in the activities that we, we hold so near and dear to our hearts and that we view through a conservation lens. You know, um, I don't want to go way down that rabbit hole again, but if there was enough outcry, we probably could. You could line Mahoney up, and the reason we have deer in some places is because we never closed deer hunting. We kept it as a valid thing for people to do. And so because of that, they wanted to manage deer in a way that they could recover. Turkeys. We wanted turkeys. I think I think I read somewhere like in the early 1900s there were 100,000 turkeys, and now there's millions and millions of turkeys. Um Waterfowl. You look at the historical numbers of waterfowl. They've come back largely on the numbers of hunters on the backs of hunters' dollars, and you know birds in in general are in trouble. I think a lot of that's attributed to um, to maybe I, I've heard rumors that it's connected like to windmills or whatever. I don't know if that's true, but I know a lot of it's connected to feral cats and their their predation. Um, but if you look at bird numbers overall, even Audubon would begrudgingly admit that the large reason that waterfowl and geese are doing so well is because or ducks and geese sorry waterfowl the, a large reason they're doing so well is because of hunters because we buy our duck stamp every year that participates in the national wildlife refuge program and anyway it's significant it's important and that's why i think it is so important that we get this thing passed because it regardless of what happens to the state or our, the, the the shape of our state um i said a few weeks ago that conservation and, and hunting is not partisan but it is very much political every topic we can we politicize these days um this is a thing that i've always tried to keep apolitical if i could um hunting is not the thing of of democrats or republicans hunting's the thing of conservationists and a conservationist kind of many stripes so anyway i think that's hugely important to to set that that stage and that tone that um 
we we desperately need this in Florida because it's going to provide us protections for long term. There are two ways to get something on the on the on the on the ballot. Um, one is, I guess there's three if you look at a constitutional revision committee, but there's two really. Um, one is that you can have legislators run legislation like this, and if it passes both chambers of, of both the Senate and the House, um, it's allowed to go to the ballot. The other way is you have to get collect signatures, and you have to collect a bunch of what are called verified signatures, meaning... You can't just have people sign like a change.org petition. They actually have to sign, submit a piece of paper, mail it in. They have to be verified to some degree. Um, and it's a percentage of the cast of votes in the previous election. I think that's the 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 way where we get the number. But right now, I think you'd have to get 950,000 signatures, 900,000 signatures, just under a million signatures to get something on the ballot. And that, not just a million, you'd have to get a million verified signatures. So think about the best change.org signature campaigns you've seen. Man, 10,000 people have shared this or 15,000 people have signed this or whatever. There ain't much teeth. There, there aren't many teeth behind that. So in this case, um, this is obviously a really way, good way to go about getting on the ballot. And then um, people have asked me, like, do you think it would pass when it hits the ballot? And I think a couple of things about that. I think uh, first, it's the right to hunt and fish. So I talk a lot about hunting. Obviously, I'm a I'm more of a hunting guy than a fishing guy, but I am a conservation advocate. I've spent probably way more days fishing than I have anything else in the state. Um, but I think when you look at it being the lens of both of those things, hunting and fishing, protecting those those rights or creating those rights, uh, I think significantly it's got a really good shot. I, I really do. Um, and the flip side of this, uh, editorially, I'll say it feels like we pass everything we put on the ballot in Florida sometimes. So um, I, I, I feel like it's got a really good shot, though. I feel like if you're opposed to this, man, you'd have to have some really good reasons why you're opposed to it. And I, I can't think of what those are. You'd have to like, oh, man, I don't want to give you those reasons because I'm not trying to build your case for you. But I just think um, it's a it's a really good opportunity. I do think there's some people out there like, oh, I have problems with constitutional amendments, or I have problems with this, or I have problems. Yeah, that's fine. Like, I'm not I'm not getting in your Kool Aid, but um, I th I think we got a really good shot of getting this done. So, that said, here's your action stuff. This is going to take a lot of work to get done. This is not a thing we simply roll out on the court. And I've talked ad nauseum over the years about hunters wanting to go to the woods and just be left alone, about fishermen just wanting to go on the boat, catch their fish, and be left alone. It's part of what attracts us to these outdoor things is the idea that we can go out there and do them. And I'm here to tell you that if you can't take 45 seconds to fill out an email to, to, a, to a, a, a congressional staffer, a legislative aide, a, 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 a representative, a senator, if you can't take 45 seconds to do that a few times a week, maybe you should consider getting out of this. Like, because all you're doing is taking. And that sounds pretty harsh, and I mean it to sound harsh. Like, maybe you should consider stopping if you can't participate in the process, engage with us, and help us fight to protect the things that you enjoy doing. Man, I just don't have a lot of patience. I don't have a lot of use for that. Like as somebody that fights tooth and nail for the wild stuff and the wild places in my state every day, it's a big deal. Um, I will I will say this. If you're not a hunter or fisher and you love conservation and you love wild Florida, 
you should support this. You should go send these surveys in. You should go, you should go send, fill out these action alerts. I don't care if you filled one out yesterday from Safari Club and you filled out one out yesterday afternoon from Delta. Fill another one out from Howl today. Like fill every one of them out as many times as you can. Um, it's easy to forget to do. It's easy to say, you know what, I did that yesterday. I don't really have time to do it. You have 45 seconds. Like, it's turkey season right now. Everybody's dying to get in the turkey woods. and want to go spend days chasing gobblers around and stuff. Do you want to be able to do that? Do you want your kids to be able to do that? you want your grandkids to be able to do that? But if also, if you're not a consumptive user, if you're not a hunter or fisher, do you like having those things around? Do you like having turkeys around and deer around and wild places for panthers and bears and things to coexist? If you like all that stuff, you need to support this legislation because it's all interconnected. It's all interconnected. I'm also really interested to see how, what I'll term the environmental conservation community, I'm interested to see how they react to this as it begins to unfold. Um, because oftentimes sportsmen get asked to support what we would call straight environmental legislation. Um, sometimes it's conservation-minded, sometimes it's more preservation-minded, but we get asked to support all of it because we need sportsmen's support of this. Um, and, and I have been, you know, one of the leading voices in that conversation to try to continue to say, yeah, we are on the team. But a team means that everybody gets the ball passed to them at some point. So right now, I'm really interested to watch this unfold with a lot of the big name groups around the state that raise a lot of money on the term conservation. I'm interested to see how they participate in this conversation. So really, really anxiously looking forward to that. Um, so what you guys can do is I will put some action alerts in the, the, the couple I have right now. I'll put them in um, the show notes for this episode. Please fill them out again, please. Um, I'm going to tell you how painstaking this is, is today I got an action alert and I actually took time to text 28 people and ask them if they would fill it out. That's insane. But that's also what it's going to take to get this done. Like it's going to take a concerted effort. It's going to take us making the extra steps. It's going to take us doing the extra things. That's what it's going to take to get this done. And so I appreciate you guys. I know so many of y'all that listen to this and I love y'all like y'all are my family, but I really need you to buckle down and we've got to get this over the finish line. We've got to continue to create pressure. This is not some uninformed perspective of pressure. This is not some mob. This is really strategic pressure that we're trying to apply because the way this is going to work is in both the House and the Senate, um, bills are going to have to be read in front of committees and then voted on by committees and then voted on by the whole body. Um, they may have to make multiple committee stops. Chairs of those committees will decide, uh, you know, when does it get to the committee? When does it get a hearing? When does it, you know, how does it get heard, et cetera, et cetera. So we want to make sure that this gets the right attention. So keeping the pressure on, keeping the heat up, huge, big deal for us. Um, and I think that I think that should answer most of the questions that are floating around out there. Um, I know that we should have, at the, at the time of this, I know that CCA Florida has communicated about it. I know that the Board of Florida Guides Association has communicated about it. Um, obviously, Howl.org. I did a podcast with them. I don't know when that comes out. But I did a podcast with Howell talking about why you should care about other states because, you know, they have a national platform. Um, and also why you should take the, the time to get engaged in Florida and why it matters so much here. Um, 
but if you, if you fill out the how action alert, it emails 20 random legislators, either representatives or senators. And then um, the Delta one that I put out today will actually, if you, if it, I, I can tell you how to do this, if you're driving down the road, you can do the Delta alert right now. It's beyond simple to do this one. All you do is you open your, your text messages and you, you type in 52886. That's who you're sending the text to is 52886. And all you're going to type in the, in the body of the text is hunt Florida. I don't even think that the, it's, it's all caps in mind, but I don't even think it matters. I think if you typed it lowercase, it would work. Hunt Florida. You type that in, you'll get a response. Click on the link, fill in the information. They're not going to ask you for money. They're not going to make you put a credit card. It's nothing like that. It's really simple. And when you're done, you can change the body of the email if you want. But when you're done, they'll send an email to uh, your legislators in, that you're in the district for, which is really nice because it's always good to hear from constituents. So... I'll leave it alone at that. Um, I'm sure I'll have more questions coming in from folks, and I'll try to communicate through this. This is a really good way, though, to do it, and uh, it's a little more informal. I'm able to talk through it, which is sometimes easier to, than writing it over and over and over and over in text messages. But do the Howl Alert. Do the Delta Alert. Um, CCA Florida sent it in their email out today, um, and uh, we should see one from Safari Club at some point this week. Sportsman's Alliance has talked about getting involved with it, so we may see one come out from there. Um, let, let's, let's blow this thing out and let's show them what the, the sportsman's community, both sides of the sportsman's community, the fishing side and the hunting side and the, the unified side, let's show them what we can do together and get this thing done. So, um, that is right to hunt and fish. If you also have a vested interest in Lake Apopka, uh, on the day this airs, which will be March the 8th tonight, we will have a Lake Apopka meeting, um, that should be interesting. <laughs> That's maybe the best way I can put it is it should be interesting. So um, I think the last Lake Apopka meeting we had was virtual. That was a couple of years ago. Like it, it's been a minute. Um, and then last year, Lake Apopka, if you remember, was a little bit of a contentious story. It, there was some, some uh, debate about how the lake should be treated. We got really involved in that. I spent a lot of time on the lake, spent a lot of time meeting with, um, the Habitat and Species Conservation, the Aries people, the IPM people, um, just really trying to figure out where's where we could work together and leverage to make sure we still had habitat for ducks, but also work within the parameters that they had to work within, within given the budget. Um, so that meeting is tonight, March 8th at Tanner Hall, which is at 29 West Garden Avenue in Winter Garden, Florida. Um, they're going to allow public input they're going to allow public comment. Please don't be a crazy person. Please don't be a crazy person. Um, I've seen a lot of talk on social media about people trying to rally the troops. And I, I am all for rallying troops. Like that was kind of how I got started in this world was rallying troops around spray meetings years ago. So I'm, I'm all for rallying troops. I think it's an important thing. However, I think we need to be really, um, careful about the approach there. I think we need to treat ourselves as the adults in the room. And it's always hurtful to me when sportsmen go into a room and they say things that are factually untrue or they take a belligerent attitude or they talk down to other folks. Um, it becomes really, really difficult to hold respect and to, to continue, 
continue to move the conversation forward. So um, I'm interested to see kind of what the agency is, is planning to do. I'm interested to hear what stakeholders have to say. But I'm also really interested in the nuance of Apopka itself because we're talking about a lake that was a toxic lake, still is a toxic lake. Like it's, it's been so unhealthy. It was a super fun site in the eighties. Like this is a lake that is not like, um, it's not a jet ski lake. It's not a, it's not a lake where the pleasure boaters going out on the Saturday to like just cruise around. This is a lake that's pretty much useful for two things, bass fishing and duck hunting. Um, and I, I'm struggling personally. This is Travis's opinion. This is not fact. This is not science. This is Travis's opinion. I'm struggling personally with treating that lake. I'm struggling with why you treat that lake. Like you can go to the areas where the hydrilla is present and the water clarity is noticeably better. Like there's no debate about that. We can go out there with the scientists and they will agree. The water clarity is noticeably better where the hydrilla is growing. So there's a group out there. It's Friends of Lake Apopka. And also whatever the West Orange County Audubon Society is, Orange County Audubon Society, um, they've kind of pushed back on it. They want it treated because it's hydrilla. That's the reason they want it treated. Because you're talking thousands of acres of hydrilla. You're talking, that lake's 30 some odd thousand acres. You're talking there's probably 10, 12,000 acres of hydrilla out there. I recognize some of the flaws in hydrilla. Like I, I say that as a guy that enjoys duck hunting, I recognize hydrilla is not, it's not perfect, but it's also behaving functionally as the only SAV in that system. And we know that it's helping make the water clearer. So in this impaired lake, why wouldn't you leverage the vegetation you have versus treating it? Now there is a side to this conversation. I think that is around the idea of allowing hydrilla to grow but also wanting navigation trails. I, and I, I see that, I recognize that. However, um, it's been made pretty clear from the agency, putting navigation trails in is more expensive than actually a, a whole system treatment, be it you know the North Shore, the South Shore, whatever. Treating large swaths with a, it used to be called systemic herbicide, now they're calling it a slow-acting herbicide. Treating a large swath with that um, cheaper than treating trails on a recurring basis so that you have navigation channels open, even though the latter would allow for more hydrilla to exist on the system. So I think there is some budget concerns there that are driving a little bit of this decision-making. And that's a, that's a real thing. Like budget does have to drive some decision-making sometimes. However, if we left this lake alone and didn't treat it at all, what happens? Well, I think you'd see an improvement in the water quality. I think you'd see more duck honey on it. I think you'd see better fishing on it. I think at some point, you could start to see dissolved oxygen problems if you had too much hydrilla on it long term. But I think we're a long way away from that. And I, I'm not a scientist. I'm just telling you what I think. I think we're a long way away from that. And I think that that plant could functionally do way more good than it can not having any plant in place because when you go spray it first, we're not going to eradicate hydrilla in that lake. It's just not possible. Um, so when you go spray it, you're killing it off. It's going to be muck. You're hastening that process in a lake that has no real cycle to get it out. 
and has nothing else in there to clean the water. So you're just basically adding those nutrients back into the lake. Um, why not let the hydrilla bind it up? And then why not look at some sort of mechanical harvesting project where you can get some of the nutrients out? Again, I know mechanical harvesting is not the most efficient method under the sun, but if you could look at something where you could begin to pull some of those nutrients out, maybe you could see a better recovery period for the lake. You know, it took us 50 years to turn that lake into a cesspool. We're not going to fix it in a week. We're not going to fix it in a year. We're not going to fix it in five years. Um, but I would also argue this. That lake has inarguably been the best non-quota public land waterfowl spot in the state of Florida past four or five years. Like, I, I don't think there's any argument. Yes, there are better quota areas you can go to, depending on how you like to hunt and what you like to hunt. But if you just on a Tuesday morning wake up and want to go hunting you and you have a boat, you can go hunt Lake Apopka and have a pretty good shot at some ducks. Um, that's significant. That's a significant opportunity. And that hydrilla is what's holding those birds there. And that matters a great deal. I also think there's a little bit of hypocrisy in this whole conversation because if you know much about the topography of Apopka and what goes on north of it, there's a lot of cells in the, uh, the, we call it the North Shore area, but there's a nature trail up there and there's some some reclaimed farmland that were turned into almost like an STA. Hydrilla is growing in all that and essentially used to clean the water in that before it filters back into the lake. So I've said a couple of times on the record, like if you want to treat hydrilla, let's start in there and then you come to the lake. Um, and no one in the water management district seems willing or eager to do that. So I cannot help but think somewhere in the back of my mind, there's a slight anti-hunting sentiment to this, and I'm going to defend it this way, okay? I don't think any homeowner on any lake anywhere wants people to duck hunt on their lake. They may be completely fine with duck hunting, but they don't want duck hunting on their lake. Waterfowlers, the duck hunting community, has to go fight on every lake that has any population of ducks or any population of hydrilla because that's where the ducks tend to congregate. So you're spreading waterfowlers out. They got to show up at Toho. They got to show up at Kissimmee. They got to show up at the Harris Chain. They got to show up at Apopka. They got to show up on Yale. They got to show up here. They got to show up there. They got to show up at Okeechobee. Like they have to show up a lot of times for places that they may hunt three or four times a year versus a homeowner only has to show up at one time at one place because they only really care about this lake. The The homeowners around a popka, I'm going to guarantee you, the homeowners around a popka do not care if you duck hunt every inch of Lake Toho or Lake Okeechobee or Lake Kissimmee or Lake Espoke or any of the others. The homeowners on Lake Toho could not care less if you hunt every inch of Lake Apopka. Those are the same stakeholder to me as duck holders are the same stakeholder to me yet we deal with them independent of each other as though they're only relevant when they're involved. So it's like we have this mass um, union of homeowners and allow them to only send a certain faction to each lake, and they want the same results on every lake, and there's no one looking holistically and saying, well, wait a second. Across these lakes, we have X number of accessible, huntable, topped-out waterfowl habitat. Um, so we're going to have to leave it here because, you know, we took it off of... Lake Yale just got a whole lake treatment. 
3,500 acres, something like that, 3,300 acres. Lake Eel's been a really good duck hunting lake the last couple of years because it was topped out hydrilla. They just did a whole lake treatment on that. Where are you replacing that 3,000 acres of waterfowl habitat within the system of lakes that we can duck hunt on, FWC? I think that's a reasonable question, and it's a maddening question to me. The other thing that's kind of a maddening question to me, and again, if you're still listening and you're not a hunter or fisher, this is where I think this matters to you, is FWC is, they're the wildlife organization, right? Like Fish and Wildlife Conservation, Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. And this is a first... I'm trying to be careful with the way I talk about social science because I think in the past I've said I'm against social science and that's not a thing you can be against. That's like saying I'm against science. Like that, that's not reasonable. That doesn't make sense, Travis. So I'm against the misapplication or the misuse of social science. Um, and I feel like this is a place where I don't know if it's the state. I don't know if it's the agency. I don't know where this happens. It's, it's a thing that I just can't get past. Don't know that I'm right. I'm just being gut level, honest, transparent with you guys about how I feel and how I think about this. FWC is the wildlife agency for the state. They're the only agency that should care what fishers and hunters think about a lake. They're the only agency that cares, that, that has a responsibility to care about fishermen and hunters in any way, shape, or form. Yet, in this conversation, I hear constantly about homeowners. I hear about legislators. I hear about, okay, that's fine. Let's say level set, they're all the same stakeholders. The agency handles all the same stakeholders. I am curious when DEP is going to form a hunting and fishing stakeholder group to start engaging with us on issues around anything they do. Like when DEP starts permitting a new development, I'm very interested for when they're going to start consulting with hunters and fishermen using social science to determine how we feel about that new development. I mean, they're both under the same state structure, right? Like both report up through however that reports through in, into the, into the government. Um, I'm very interested for when DOT starts involving hunters and fishermen in their road determinations, where they're going to put a road. I'm very interested. No, 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 no. I'm not saying I'm very interested for when they bring all the stakeholders together. I'm very interested for when they start reaching out to hunters and fishermen to get their opinions on it. Because our wildlife agency reaches out to homeowners. They reach out to these stakeholder groups specifically to get their input on this. So I'm very interested when the state of Florida as a consistency across all these divisions begins reaching, begins reaching out to hunters and fishers to get their input on other topics. And it's never going to happen. And the reason it's never going to happen is DOT couldn't give two craps about hunters and fishermen. DEP could give two craps about hunters and fishermen, but FWC maybe correctly fairly is treating everyone as a state stakeholder but it's the only agency that has any oversight or overlook of our pursuits, which coming full circle in this entire conversation is the reason the right to hunt fish is so important because there's no impetus that says 
FWC has to give us the right to hunt and fish. FWC has to allow us to hunt and fish. Um, so I think codifying that right to go backtrack quite a bit is exceedingly important in this conversation. Anyway, super boring episode if you're not enthralled with hunting, fishing, and conservation in the state of Florida. Um, but I think it's important. I think it's timely. It's absolutely timely because, like I said, the Apopka meeting is on the day this airs tonight. Um, I look forward to seeing a bunch of y'all there. I'm sure there's going to be some folks I haven't ever met in real life. It'll be good to finally shake your hands. And um, I think that's everything I got. Please make sure y'all reach out to Hallett, 904-315-5812. Look at that, two ads in one podcast. I am a marketing genius. Make sure you fill out your action alerts, please, on Right to Hunt Fish Stuff. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll hopefully get back to normal here soon. And y'all stay woke. Go and see you, let's take it here.